The Overtime Hockey Podcast with Polly's Podcast kind of all blended into one on one phenomenal hockey podcast network. Uh, we're joined today by Florida Panthers scout Fred Mandel. There is so much to talk about here, Fred, and you know I, I want to touch a little bit on the NHL and the playoffs and the formatting and all that. But before we get into that, one of the things that Ken and I were talking about, and we always like to bring you in as a voice of reason because you're the guy looking at all these players, and you know I think it's first of all fair to say there's not a prospect that you don't know in your area would that be fair to say absolutely uh you know it's our job to know who's out there and there's so many opportunities to see kids play that it's highly highly unlikely that somebody's going to go unseen or unnoticed i mean every team likes different prospects to a different level but everyone sees everyone so in, in terms of, oh, I'm in a small town or I'm buried in the northwest corner of Minnesota or, or North Dakota or South Dakota, that's not really the case then because, again, there's so many opportunities to see players in some league, some way, somehow. Absolutely. Uh, you know, there could be the situation where somebody playing up in some small town who doesn't play high school hockey and is playing at some other level could go unnoticed, but... The chance of that happening is extremely remote, especially today with all social media and central scouting being all over the place and so many NHL scouts out there. It's highly, highly unlikely. Do you utilize central scouting as a service for yourself? Well, central scouting is available to every team. Uh, On a personal level, I use central scouting as kind of a double check as to what I'm doing, not necessarily what I'm seeing. But if they're listing players that I haven't seen, it's certainly worth taking a look at. But that very rarely happens. And, you know, they're scouts just like I am, and we have different opinions on players. So to me, it's no more than a, a double check against what I'm doing and seeing. The old, am I, is this really what I'm seeing? Am I seeing this correctly type of thing for sure? And so uh, from a perspective, you know, we go to these games and we see all you guys there and... Um, I know you got to kind of keep your thoughts to yourself and what you're leaning toward, but do you guys ever share information at all? We rarely share what I'll call legitimate information. We'll talk about a player or, you know, especially if I'm driving with another scout after a game, I may say, you know, how do you think so-and-so played? But we keep our thoughts as to where we feel or what we feel the player will become in the future as a prospect we keep that pretty close to the vest and try not to share those uh, thoughts with other scouts so there's a difference from saying you're obviously both looking at the same guy what do you think how'd he look today yeah he was all right or you know whatever and 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 as opposed to saying god i really like that guy yeah. you know you don't want to start doing that because you're, you're tipping your hand so then when you get into the process where you go through a year you look at college players junior players high school players And then I'm going to ask the biggest question in the world here to me. How young do you go? Well, I actually, for my job, for the purpose of scouting amateur players for the NHL draft, I will only go to see players who are draft eligible for this year's draft, which means in the season just completed, they basically have turned 18 uh, or are turning 18. And if how we look at under what we do, what we call underage players or players who are one year, two year, three years away from the draft is just by seeing them 
playing with players we're watching, with and against players we're watching for the draft. Now, the only exception to that may be the U.S. development program, their under-17 team, who are all eligible for the following year's draft. But even that, I rarely will make a special trip to see them. I'll only see them if they happen to be playing a USHL team that I'm that I'm going to see. So your time is spent specifically on what's coming up in a normal year in the June when the draft occurs. And, and, and that leads me to this question from the draft. I mean, what in the world has that done to you guys from a preparations perspective with everybody, everything getting kind of moved and not really decided? And, you know, now we've got the playoffs. We've got to determine who gets picked. This is really going to be a weird and tricky year for you guys to prepare, isn't it? Well, it's tricky in the sense that we just don't know when the draft is going to be. It looks like it's going to be early October, I believe. But it really didn't change things too drastically because we were, I would say we were 95% done with the scouting. The last game I saw, I believe, was on March 10th or 11th. So I really only had another maybe six weeks left of scouting. And, and my list of the players who I would like to draft or who I think are worthy of, of draft status, it wasn't complete, but it was at least to the point where I'm comfortable with it. What's made it difficult is you forget players. You know, you forget yeah. about exactly what, who they are, what they bring, you know, and you, you, so you have to watch a little bit of film. You have to do some things you normally wouldn't do, but it's definitely a very strange year that we're all living it, in. It, it is really strange. And uh, the, the other thing about um, the, the whole draft and whatnot, so you, you've got a specific area you're working, right? And then you have European scouts for the Panthers, I'm sure, and then other North American scouts. How many total are feeding in information from players around the world? And when you do so, how do you factor in your this portion of the Western Hockey League? You're from the Q, you're from the O, you're from Europe, you're a Minnesota high school, you're a college player. How do you guys work through all of that? Well, we have three scouts in Europe, and then we have... In North America, we have myself and one other in the U.S., and we have three in Canada along with our director, so that makes four in Canada. And Seven total, then? No, total we are uh, three, five, uh, seven. Yeah, we're, we're a very yeah. small staff. We're about eight total with our Seems director. Seems big to me. Yeah, yeah. It's, but it's a very small staff for the NHL. Um, I think how you factor in the information from all the different leagues is you have to judge players on who they are, irregardless of where they're playing or who they're playing against, what level, whether it's high school or major junior. Our job is to project. And you can get into serious trouble by saying just because somebody is playing high school or just because somebody's playing in the USHL that you value them less or more for that matter than somebody who's playing major junior or tier two in Canada or in one of the European pro leagues or amateur leagues. Um, So you can really get yourself in trouble by not doing that. And I believe you have to judge every player on what their potential is and what you project them to be as players. 
Well, and I've always felt as though that's like one of the great myths that fly around there. I mean, at least specifically to the market we're in here in Minnesota, where it was, I mean, it's gotten better where he's, well, he's a high school player or he's a high school goalie or, or, or whatever it may be. And um, I, I don't, to, to hear it from the people that make the decisions, you know, this is all coming from external people who are trying to promote other leagues or agendas or whatever it may be. I think it's important to know. And that's part of, like you said, your job's to project. And that's part of what drafting is. Like, not everybody works out, right? I mean, it's, you may think so, but in some guys you don't think are going to be something or something. Well, the great, great majority of players who are drafted never play a game in the NHL. Uh, scouting is all projection. Where I'm looking at an 18-year-old playing for any given high school team and trying to project what are they going to be when they're 21, 22, 23 years old as a player. And it's, it's a huge trap to fall into to think that just because somebody's playing at the high school level or any other level for that matter, they're not going to develop as somebody else would. Do you do uh, in your travels a lot of college scouting for free agents? Yeah, that is my responsibilities are kind of the Western U.S., which really encompasses all the high schools in Minnesota, Wisconsin, uh, the USHL, North American League. And then on the amateur side, I'll cross over and see the top guys in in the East in prep school. But uh, again, along with our scout in Boston, between he and I, we're responsible for all college free agents. So... Between he and I, we'll see almost every college team in addition to what we have to look at for the draft. How many games do you think you watch a year? Well, I know for a fact this year it ended at 200. Right on, on the nose. The, right, on the, right on the nose, because I was just looking at that the other day. But usually in a given year, if this year would have been normal, I would have seen about 230 to 240 games. So you guys then prepare up for the draft, the draft occurs, and then there's... You know, at an NHL level, there's the uh, developmental camps, then then pro camp starts. So you're not really out watching any of this stuff in the summer, are you? I mean, there's you know because it's just it's it's not apples and apples, is it? Yeah, summer hockey is summer hockey, and the only thing we'll watch in summer would be the national, at least from my my camps, would be the national U.S. under 17 camp because those are all the the U.S. kids who will be eligible yeah. for next year's draft, which, of course, was canceled this year. But other than that, there's nothing I'll go to to actually scout in the summer other than unless there's an international tournament that I get asked to cover. Sounds like a great job to me. I mean, like, how, how much more perfect can that be? You yeah, get the summer off, basically? Yeah, it's like being a teacher. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there you go. Okay, so we're going to kind of weave into our next topics and, and – you know, it's going to be a, a what you're noticing type thing in players today and what they do well and, and, and what's what's been working for them and maybe some things that are different and could work better. So we'll start first with the, uh, we'll go positive, negative, positive. How about that? The old the buildup thing. So what are the players today that you're seeing that are draft eligible uh, bringing to the table that you would say is different from even a decade ago? I think the skill is better. I think there's better overall skating. I think those would be the two biggest things you think you see. And then in terms of intangibles, I think there's more opportunity for them to train and get bigger and stronger quicker. What kind of strength do you guys look for in players? I mean, I, so I can just to, to preface this question, 
I can recall back in the day where if you weren't 200 pounds, you weren't getting drafted. It, you, know, you could be 5'7", Peter Zezel, and you had to click it in at 210 to, to play in the league with thighs the size of Robert Newhouse, the former Cowboys right. fullback, right? Earl Campbell. Uh, and then now you go into a locker room and everybody looks like they're, they could be anywhere from 160 to 185. So it looks like it's more of a lean strength that you guys are, are looking for. Yeah, definitely. Um, when I started scouting 26 years ago, I, wor- I was working for Montreal, and I was told my first year, don't even report on a guy under six foot unless he's a superstar. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, but that has completely... Johnny Hockey or right, something like that, yeah. That has completely, completely changed now. But in terms of what we look for, we just look for somebody with, you know, good good strength, good muscle strength, or uh, or the type of structure in their body that's going to allow them to add weight and thusly add strength as well weight and strength can play to durability too as well as one-on-one battles and all the things but 80 game schedule lots of time on the ice uh, it's an absolute grind and if your body can't take that and you see that the, the players that are injury prone i wonder if that has anything to do with their body structure too as well or luck or both yeah i think it has every, to, i think it has to do with all of that um, certainly how they train, their body structure. Um, are they training properly to get the most out of what they can for their particular body? And also overuse, you know, is, is a factor too. They're, on, they're going so much, they need to take time off at the end of the year. At any level, kids should take time off and kind of recharge their batteries a bit. But it's important to train, but train properly for hockey. You can't be working with somebody who trains football players and expect that they have the same impact that you need for hockey. It's pretty remarkable when we talk. I talk constantly about overuse injuries and things like that and having coached youth-level baseball and uh, hockey as well. Baseball at the Legion level, you know, you you can throw too much. You're going to really you're going to be useless you can say that but with with a lot of parents it goes in one ear and out the other and it's just the truth it's like how can you not hear that so when covid came through i was thinking wow what a great forced break for uh, hockey players for some of these players that could have been the longest break they've ever had in their life in hockey oh no question i think for almost every player it was I mean, for certainly for NHLers, they've never been off at that time of the year. They've been actually trying to grind things out towards the end of the year at that point. Um, for kids, it was just like shutting the door. All of a sudden, they had nothing to do. So. They didn't really seem to complain either. No, no, because it, breaks are good. Yeah. Breaks I, are I good. I know. And yeah. so, so it's really healthy for you. So what are the things that you would see from players today that you would like to see better from what you've observed? I think we'd like to see them improve their hockey sense and I think some of that comes from they're not spending as much time out on their own let's say at outdoor rinks you know just playing shinny and those type of things where you know that impacts skills but it also impacts hockey sense to to a point and uh, I think sometimes you look at kids out there and they're just they're working hard and they're skating hard but they're not doing it with a lot of thought and so I think Hockey sense is something for me I think I've seen dwindle a bit. And then also just being better rounded in terms of athletes. And that's because there is too much emphasis on hockey as a a 12-month sport. So uh, when I think about uh, both of those concepts, you can really tell the players that do 
go to the uh, the work to to go to the park and and to to play and, and create. And I think about all the players that I know that are post NHL and what they're doing. A lot of them are creatives, creative thinkers. And if you have more of a creative mindset, you can become more a player. And 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 it seems as though that seems to to help players. But you can clearly see who they are. So if you're looking at a player that is a little more robotic in play, does what the coach asks, right? Hits his angles, right? Okay, get it. But once on the puck, there's just not a lot of creativity. Um, but you see a guy that might not be as physical, but is smarter and really good with his hands and, and, and is smart putting the puck where it needs to be and then going where he needs to go. Which player, given what the NHL requires, are you a little more inclined to? You want them both in one, but I know which one. I mean, it's hard to do all of that. I think, you know, assuming they both have equal skills and both can skate to a certain level. Right, yeah. I think you want the creative type of player, the thinker, the guy who can think for himself out there and knows what to do and isn't just robotic or just playing a system when there's times the system needs to be tweaked. You've seen a ton of high school hockey. You've watched a ton of teams play. Do you feel as though systems or playing a certain structured way, do you feel like high school is too structured at times? No, I don't think so. I think the coaching at the high school level is fairly sound. And uh, I think, I don't think it's overly structured, at least not from what I've seen. I do think there's instances where coaches will put players or in a position where they, they don't, they're not allowed to do what's best in their game. And you do see that, absolutely. But overall, I think the structure is, is at a good level. But I, I would like to see creative players be allowed more creativity, regardless whether they're forwards or defensemen. Exactly where I was going with my question. Cut them loose a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that, so then, the, then we'll finish on the positive here. Uh, when we move forward, and y- as you see the younger crops coming in, obviously you're looking at the older guys. It feels to me like they're a little bit different from the group that just went through uh, in some ways. Um, and I'm curious to see if you've noticed that too, some of the good things you're seeing out of the younger kids. Well, again, I, I think what we're seeing is kids train more, so they're a little bit better prepared. They're a little more savvy in terms of their approach to the game. Mm-hmm. And I don't know necessarily whether that's a positive thing. I mean, I keep hearing things about all these camps kids are going to and combines they're going to when they're 8, 9, 10 years old. And I just don't see how that benefits anybody in their long-term hockey career. Um, I just think that kids need to be excited about what they're doing and they need to have a strong work ethic. And if they have that, they should be able to pick up the skills needed moving forward. So from the combine perspective, the NHL isn't looking at these players. Who is? Is it the uh, juniors? and the, Is anybody looking at them? What, 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 what's the yield out of that and who's, who's watching that? Well, that's a real good question. I mean, if you're talking, I've heard of some 8, 9, 10, you know, 12-year-old kids going to combines, and I'm saying, who are they combining for? I mean, the NHL has a combine, and really, because none of it's on ice, the impact in terms of the draft is minimal, in my opinion. Um, I have no clue what these, who is looking at these kids or what it is other than a potential moneymaker. I don't see what the kids get out of it, honestly, 
that they wouldn't get out of going to any other camp or program. I mean, it's I'm completely at a loss to explain what the advantage of going to a combine when you're 12 years old is. It's uh, the best thing the NCAA could have done is at least implement, you know, you can't even start offering things until, what is it, uh, after their 10th grade year, going into their junior year. And it was getting wild. And I had a, a, a my show on 105 The Ticket. I think you joined me there back. I still miss that station. All the three that I was at was awesome there. Um, but I had uh, Derek Plant on from UMD, and I, and I said, well, geez, thanks for joining us here today. I know you're busy. I suppose you're out watching some fourth and fifth graders for your next recruiting class. He laughed really hard. And he goes, it's really kind of – it's sad, but yeah. – you know, so I, that has to be helping that process, and it can take the combine concept and maybe, at least from a collegiate perspective, make that a little bit better. Yeah, like I said, I mean, I think kids were committing to schools far too early, and it, and it, to me, it was a no-win on either side because if the if it, you commit a kid when he's fourteen years old and he doesn't improve, then what are you going to do with that kid other than keep sending him back to junior year after year after year? Or from, from the player's perspective, if he looks and sees there's a better opportunity, he can just walk on you because he hasn't signed a letter of intent until after his, his uh, junior, junior year. Well, sadly, uh, there's, there should be some sort of, maybe there are and I just don't know about it, some sort of limit to who you can do verbals or accept verbals from. I mean, it seemed as though at the University of Minnesota before uh, Bob Motzko came in that it was just like, sure, we'll say yes to everybody. And it's just sort of fill up the hopper, have a little bit of a minor league, and then you're gone, you're gone, you're gone. Okay, well, you're going to go to Augsburg, you're going to go to St. Thomas, whatever. And I, I don't know if that really benefits the player. Well, if you don't, if you can't commit in writing to a player, which you can't until after their junior season, they, in a way, don't have much to lose by verbal committing you. Exactly. But the player thinks he's committed. player thinks he's committed, and, and most schools are going to stand by their verbal commitment, but they may tell you, if you haven't developed to the point that they think you're ready, they're going to tell you, okay, you finish your senior year of high school, go play your junior. And if they don't think you're ready after that, they're going to say, go back and play another year. And then eventually what happens is a lot of guys decommit or the team Obviously, they can't drop them if they sign the letter of intent, but if they haven't, then a team can walk just as easily or make it, you know, a situation where you want to, it you just, want to make it It just looks really good on Twitter. Let's just be honest. Exactly. Proud to announce, you know, you can get that out of the way and then move on and have the little logo next to your name on the line charts. And, you know, right. it's all part of the game. We get it. So, And, and, and don't get me wrong. A great, great, great percentage of the schools who committed young kids they stick with the commitment. The schools are honorable. The coaches are honorable. Sure, sure. But they, it may be a situation where they want you to keep going back and play junior until they feel you're ready to go. And it's just a fact. And you may change your mind as well. Which, which leads to this question on the junior question. Why is it that hockey that I'm aware of is the only NCAA sport where you can come in as a 21 year I mean, it's really built for you to have to play play junior why can't they be like football and all the others and say you know these four guys incoming are going to make the team as freshmen these two guys you know what you're redshirted and go play junior how how come hockey is different that way with all that time i think the biggest reason it's different is you have junior leagues where which can serve as a preparatory 
uh, phase for your college career. Uh, I don't, once a, a high school kid finishes his high school football career, there's really nowhere for him to go other than college in between. Maybe a junior college, but there's not all that many of those. And baseball, I don't believe there's anything similar either. I think what's driven it is just the fact that it's there. Mm -hmm. And it's made college hockey that much better, I believe. Because the fact is, college hockey is so good, in my opinion now, that you need a year of junior to prepare. Anywhere. Anywhere. Whether, whether you do that as your senior year of high school, which, isn't, which is something I don't necessarily, or I'm not necessarily a proponent for, other than the odd case, or you play a year junior after your high school season. But you need it because of the, because of the way college hockey is. It, it really seems like even in more than 50% of the instances that it's two years a junior as well. Yeah, after it can be. I mean, I've talked to players who I've scouted and drafted and I've at, who have gone directly from high school to a Division One program and then from the Division One program to the NHL, and they have said the jump from high school to Division One is far tougher than the jump from Division One to the NHL. Well, I just did a story on Grant Bessie about him, and he you, you probably were speaking with him, but he said the same thing. He said, if I would have known what I know now, I would have for sure uh, seasoned myself uh, for another year because I wasn't physically and mentally ready to get into the jump of college hockey. I mean, it all worked out fine, but it still was... He felt he could have been better by uh, better served by doing that. If he would have known, he would tell kids to just slow down and get through the process. Yeah, 100%. You know, we always... When we interview players, we always say, whether it's myself or our general manager, Dale Talon, we always say, somewhere in the conversation it comes up, that, that it's to get to the NHL is a marathon, not a sprint. So why, on the other hand, would we turn to a kid and say, leave high school and go to junior? It's, it's talking out of both sides of your mouth. Um, it's because of the way college hockey has evolved, you have a lot of teams, some of the best teams in the country, like Cornell. They're big, they're older, and it's very, very difficult to make the jump from any high school, any prep school, and go right and and be a contributor at a, at a Division One program. Last time the Gophers were in a Frozen Four, um, I did a breakdown of all four of the teams that were there. The Minnesota Gopher average age was like 19.5 years old on that team. I think they lost in the first round. Everybody else, Duluth was in there too. Duluth was like 24.1 years old or something like that. And, and that was... And maybe that was the year they won in 2012, I think it was. Well, that, that Can't was... remember. But but their difference was, was marked. And you're thinking about what a 21-year-old kid physically looks like versus a 25-year-old guy. And then a guy like Justin Fontaine is signing with the Wild and has a nice little NHL career. And, you know, so it, you can sign at a 25-year-old if you're good enough. Oh, absolutely. I, I think it probably the average age now is around 21 to 22. Per team? Per team. Yeah. And but you're coming in as an 18 year old who may not who in most instances or many instances hasn't reached their f full physical maturity, and you're a man you're a boy playing with men, and that's in, that's simple, exactly true. what a, what it is, and I think for a kid to go play a year or two a junior, yes you go into college a little bit later on, but it's not going to affect your ability to play pro hockey if you become good enough, 
And college hockey now is so heavily scouted from a free agent basis. That's what I've noticed. That yeah. in many respects, you're almost better off, especially financially, to sign as a free agent versus be picked in the sixth or seventh round. So when you sign as a free agent out of college, uh, is there a cap number to which you can sign as a free agent, but it is higher than that fifth, sixth, seventh rounder? Yeah, absolutely. There is, there is a max you can sign for, or what's called the cap, yeah. that you can sign for. Now, not everyone gets that. Only the top free agents get it, but it certainly is more than you would sign for. Ah, 100, it's not even close in terms of how much more it is and what you would sign for as a sixth, seventh, fifth round pick. That's incredible. Uh, final question for you as uh, the team prepares to go to Toronto. Are, there, are they in the bubble right now? No, no. They're, I believe they're practicing in Florida. Um, I know the players. I was talking to our director of player uh, personnel the other day, and everyone's excited, but they're tested regularly. There's, To my knowledge, there's been absolutely no positive tests. I think they're all looking forward to getting there and playing, and it's going to be very different. I mean, to play, I play in an empty arena and... It, it was funny, like I, I heard a player talking the other day that it's going to be like kind of a tournament situation because you're going to go into the rink, arrive at the rink for your game, and there's going to be a game going on because there's going to be four or sometimes five games a day. It's like game. youth hockey. Yeah, it's almost it taking them it back is. to their roots. Exactly. But there's no parents in the stands. No parents in the stands, right. Um, so so um, I, I, I think what's going to be very intriguing is going to be because they are playing for something – I think the players do such a good job of staying between the glass. It doesn't really matter what's ever going on in the stands. You know, I, I've never bought into this home ice advantage stuff with loud crowds. I mean, because if it bothers you as a professional, you're not a professional, in my opinion. So I don't think any of that's going to impact their level of play. And I do believe the way this is formatted, no question, the very best team's going to win the cup. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't think not having fans in the stands is going to have any impact whatsoever. Yeah. I think the biggest thing when we talk about home ice advantage is more sleeping in your own bed yeah. and in your routines and not having to travel, even though travel is pretty comfortable for pro teams at any, at any sport. But I think they'll adjust quickly, and I think they're so excited about getting back to playing that you're going to see a lot of great hockey. Is everybody staying at one hotel as a league, or how are they doing that? I am not 100% certain, but I'm sure they're using multiple hotels. But from what I understand, teams will be kind of cordoned off within a wing or a couple of floors of a hotel, which nobody will have access to other than the players and team personnel. I don't know how their – I would assume meals will be in a ballroom that's dedicated to them type of thing, but I would think they'd probably have to use a couple of hotels. Oh, and I'm sure the meals are going to be phenomenal. They're all going to get fat. Probably, you know. Yeah. Uh, so my, my daughter's working the uh, 3M Open, right. and she says the food there is insane. I go, what do the guys do after they're on the range? She goes, no, I swear they get there like at 8 o'clock, and they leave at about 9, and they hit and hit and hit, and they eat and eat and eat. That's all they do is they, they, they go hit balls and then eat. She goes, the food's phenomenal. I can't believe they don't blow up, but it's funny. So uh, one question for you, and I don't, you, know, you probably don't get to see them very much with what you're doing, but obviously I just want to ask you about the Wild Vancouver and that series. I think that is going to be a really fun, tight series between those two teams with the potential for a lot of goals. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great series. There are two teams that have a history. And I think every what's nice is that the great majority of teams are coming in healthy. 
And I think it's going to be fast. I think it's going to be hard-hitting. I think it's going to be very, very entertaining and competitive hockey. Do you know Dean? I've met him on occasion, but I can't say I know him. But I've, I've met him, and he seems to be an extremely nice and well-spoken individual with a great hockey background. What's really cool is, you know, he's a little bit older and he's getting his first run really as a full-time head coach. It's nice to see that happen. Instead, you know, everybody's always looking for the newest and greatest or the recycling. So, uh, but but that was well-earned on, on his part. And then uh, a, a technical question, and I've been, because I'm a nerd about hockey and I've been thinking this through, what in the world do you do in goal? Because you've got the AHL goaltender of the year, who I think is terrific in the goalie of the future. I love him. Um, and uh, Kapanen, and then or Kukinen, sorry, and then um, do you go with Stalock? And, and and Devin Dubnik seems like he's seen his better days. Maybe he's just you know aged out. I don't know. What do you do in goal there? Well, unless something showed itself in the training camp that they had over the past couple of weeks, I guess my feeling is you almost got to run with whoever you were running with when things Stalock. shut down. Yeah, yeah, that's where I've gone to yeah. it too. But then who's the second goalie on the bench? you got to go with 40, don't you? Oh, it has to be. Yeah, yeah. okay. Because yeah, he's got the experience, and he's a proven NHL goaltender. And, you know, just because your goalie was hot when things shut down, things It's a change. new season, literally. I mean, you know, the Wild in Vancouver in the same situation the Florida Panthers in, we have to play a play-in series, and that's three out of five. And you can't afford to keep can't afford not to go with a hot goal or have a hot goaltender that's indeed like a sprint so uh, the playoffs are here good luck to your team it's great talking about uh, the game and how this all shakes down and i think everybody's gonna be a lot better for this one let's all hope so and let's get back to playing hockey we'll be back with more right after this Thanks, Pete. thank you and that concludes today's program the overtime hockey podcast with florida panthers scout fred bandell Coming up on our next Overtime Hockey Podcast, it'll be Ken Pauly as we include Pauly's podcast in the Overtime Hockey Podcast Network. That'll be coming up in a matter of a few days, and uh, be sure to be watching for the social posts and follow this one on iTunes and other platforms that distribute this podcast. For Fred Bandell, I'm Pete Wagner. So long, everybody.